Well, this weekend, we get to continue our series in Acts, and, uh, and we're looking at the third missionary journey that the Apostle Paul went on in Acts, and, and um, if you've missed any of the messages or you want to catch up to see what's going on, always go to our website at KamikiChristian.org, and we always update it, and there's all sorts of good information that will help you, encourage you in your walk with the Lord. So, so what we've covered in the last few weeks is the Apostle Paul's missionary journeys. And, and the book of Acts accounts three missionary journeys that, that he went on. You might remember that the first missionary journey he went on was uh, in Acts uh, 13, 14, and, and they left Antioch. Paul and Barnabas, they left for Antioch, and then they went up to Syria, which is modern-day Turkey. They started some churches there, and then they made their way back to Antioch. But during that time, they were telling people about Jesus, the Messiah, who was prophesied in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, and he, he came to bring good news to all people, men and women, Jews and non-Jews, and people at that time didn't like that. So they had a big council, the council at Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15, where they had to wrestle with this issue. The issue was if I become a follower of Jesus, do I have to become a Jew? That was the, the big issue. And the council said, no, you become a follower of Jesus freely by accepting the grace of God. Then the apostle Paul went on second missionary journey, but this one was a little different. He didn't take Barnabas because Barnabas and Paul got into a little bit of a disagreement. And they're ready to go to blows with one another because uh, Paul was mad that John Mark bailed on them on the first missionary journey. So Paul and Barnabas split ways, and Paul took Silas. And you might remember on the second missionary journey, they're going all through, uh, they, went to, they went to Greece, uh, up in Syria, and Turkey, and, and uh, you know, you know uh, Europe, and they're, they're, they're just continuing to go further and further to present the message of Jesus and to tell people about who Jesus is. And the second missionary journey, the big famous event that, that uh, you, most people remember is when uh, Paul and Silas were in prison. And then a big earthquake happened. And all the chains were gone. And as the chains were gone, what happened was that they, they were going to go, but they didn't. They stayed. And the jailer was going to kill himself because if the prisoners would escape, then that would, you know, that's what was going to happen to the jailer. But Paul says, no, we're all here. And then what happened was they, uh, the jailer says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. And the jailer and his family were baptized that night. Now, tonight we come to the third missionary uh, journey. And the third missionary journey is Acts 18 to Acts 20. And God really confirmed the message to the Apostle Paul through miracles and all the different miracles that the Apostle Paul did. And we're going to look at some of these different events that, that transpired here. But in the third missionary journey, we're talking years, two, three years, something like that going on. And so we're going to kind of hit the big parts of what, what happened during this, this journey. And, uh, and we're going to start with Acts chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. Acts chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. While Paulus was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even 
heard that there's a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues, and people prophesied. There, uh, there were about 12 men in all. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannius. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. It's interesting that Paul's in Ephesus here. He's talking to these believers, and, and they said, we received John's baptism. John means John the Baptist, John the Baptist baptism, which was a baptism of repentance. Because this was the day, right, where they didn't have phones, they didn't have all this technology. That's why Paul and the others, when they would start churches, they would have to come back to those churches to encourage them and to build them up and to teach them. And then while Paul was on these different missionary uh, 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 journeys, going on these, these journeys there, he would hear reports. And these reports would be like, well, this happened in this church. This happened in this church. So the Apostle Paul would, would write a letter to the church, to the church in Corinth, the church in Thessalonica, to, to, to different pastors like Timothy and things like that. So he'd hear reports and he would write about it. And that's how we got the New Testament. And so, so, so the word of Jesus was spreading throughout the world. But this group of people, this group, they didn't know about baptism. And so, so then Paul says, well, no, John the, baptism, uh, John the Baptist was pointing to, to Jesus, and, and you should be baptized in the name of Jesus. Then they were baptized. After they were baptized, they prophesied, and they were speaking in tongues, Scripture tells us. Then after this account, there was, you see what was going on in Ephesus. That you see, we see that there is this darkness in the city of Ephesus. And as this chapter unfolds, we're going to see more and more of why this, this was, was so dark. But, but what was happening is that in the city of Ephesus, there was this temple. And this temple was to a, a, a goddess. But during this time, there were these seven traveling exorcists, guys, whatever you want to call them. And they would go... And, and, and I think they're more into like this occultic type stuff. And, and they would go and claiming that they were casting out demons in the name of Jesus. And so, so you had seven of these men and their father was like this leader, like this Jewish leader, the community, and these seven, his seven boys, or the seven sons, and I don't know if they went, his sons went rogue or his dad just said he was a leader but wasn't, but these seven sons are casting out demons, are trying to cast out demons in the name of Jesus. And then we have an interesting account of what happens in Acts chapter 19, starting with verse 15.
One day, the evil spirit answered them. This is the seven sons. Jesus I know and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them. He gave them such a uh, beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Uh, it's pretty embarrassing if you ask me. They ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Here's what's fascinating about this. These seven guys are trying to, trying to put on this image like they have everything like, like they are the, you know, the people who are going to come and rescue everybody. This demon says to them, I don't even know who you are. I know Jesus, and I know the Apostle Paul. Who are you guys? Isn't that powerful? They're trying to do things in the name of Jesus, but, but this demon said, I don't even know who you guys are. And then, and then this man who had the demon on him overcame all seven of them, and they ran out, and, uh, and, and they left. And... And what happened is the result was fear on part of both the Jews and Gentiles. And we start seeing a high esteem for the name of Jesus. Then after this, all these men and women who are into sorcery, all these men and women who are in like to the dark magic and all that type of occultic stuff, they bring their manuals for sorcery and they burn them publicly. It's this massive burning of this occultic stuff just going in flames. And we look at that and we go, this is great because people are starting to know the Lord and people are coming to know who Jesus is, the love and the truth and the power of the creator of the universe. But not everyone liked it. But in verse 20... What we see is that the, the cleansed church becomes a powerful and growing church. That is something to keep in mind because they realize that the power they're trying to, to bring up, the power they're trying to, 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 to just do stuff with wasn't from the Lord. And they realize that this was stuff that was from the devil. This was stuff that was dark. This was stuff that was evil. And, and they got rid of that. And then once they got rid of that, once they committed to the Lord, once they cleansed themselves from this evil, they started to, to live the life that God wanted them to live. They started to live this life of fulfillment, and the church started to grow. So what can we take from this? Here's some thoughts I have for this group in the city here burning the sorcery manuals. I think we have to ask ourselves the question, what is taking us away from the Lord? What has a foothold in our lives? Sure, maybe it's not something in the occultic realm, but it might be something else. This is one of those questions that we have to answer for ourselves. We can't answer it for our spouse or our loved ones or our kids or our parents or or whoever, we have to answer it for ourselves. What is it in our lives that we're giving the devil a foothold? And whatever that is, let's get rid of that. Get rid of anything that would hurt our relationship with Jesus. And so they burn everything. And then the movement of Jesus followers starts to grow. 
starts going out, starts moving in a powerful way, and, and good things are happening in the name of the Lord. But again, there's opposition. There's this, there's this silversmith, and his name is Demetrius. And Demetrius doesn't like this because all of a sudden, the sales of his gods and goddesses that he makes is going down. His prophet is going down. Not just him, but all these other people who make gods they're not going to buy these man-made gods anymore. And so what Demetrius does is he gets all these other silversmiths and these craftspeople together. And they say, listen, you got Paul and these people of the way. They're called people of the way. These followers of Jesus. And they're telling us how we're supposed to live. And they're saying that their God is better than our goddess. Their God is stronger than our goddess and our temple. And he makes, a, uh, uh, he makes uh, an argument to all his friends. We're losing money and they're going to have a negative effect on what we do and on our world. Because he tells this group that many people have believed that we shouldn't worship man-made gods. And he says this, that if this goes unchecked, there's going to be three consequences. One, he tells all his friends this, there's going to be economic consequences. There's going to be a religious consequence because at this time there was a temple of the great Artemis. Um, and, and, and Artemis would lose his influence. And, and third, we would lose our identity is what he's telling all of his, his co-workers and all those who make these gods. We lose our identity. But in the city of Ephesus, in the ancient city of Ephesus, there was this temple to Artemis, the goddess Artemis. This is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. They're there. Paul is there preaching in this city, which, which became this temple, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And Paul is preaching in this city and telling them, this God that you, you worship is no God at all. And in fact, what happens, history tells us that a meteor fell from the sky maybe a hundred years before this event or so. And they looked at this meteor and they go, this is a goddess. And then they take this image of this meteor that looked in some form of a, of a woman, and they made it into a goddess, and they said, this is our goddess. We are going to worship her. And then all of a sudden, you have this temple here, and they're preaching right around this temple, and everyone would go to this temple, and they would, they would worship Artemis, and, and they would have events there. And actually, also at this temple there, you can see how big it is there. Uh, the temple there, he also had one of the major banks at that time in this temple area there. And so all of a sudden, they start getting people rowdy. They start getting people like intense, like, what are they doing? Are we going to allow this to happen? Are we going to let these people come in and tell us how to live our lives? Who are these people who follow only one God? Because in this culture, everyone followed all these different gods. And the one they followed in particular was, was Artemis, this goddess. And then they got thousands upon thousands upon thousands. And this temple at Ephesus here held about 25,000 people. And then all of a sudden, the entire city of Ephesus is in this temple. 
and they're shouting. You have people there, imagine 25,000 people. Uh, that is a lot. Shouting, saying, who are these people? Why are they here? Then you have people saying, they're just there because they, literally they followed the crowd. And they don't know what's going on. And, and somebody comes, comes to the front there and they try to settle everyone down. But, but they, they don't let them settle them down. And they start screaming and chanting this. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians for two hours, Scripture tells us. Two hours, they're screaming and shouting and chanting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And then the mayor comes in, or the city clerk. He settles everyone down, and he tries to make a case for what's happening. And he's saying, listen, no one denies that Artemis came from the heavens. Because the meteor came down. Paul and the other people of the way haven't done anything wrong. If they have, there's courts and reasons to do that. And then he says this. He says, by the way, if we keep this up, the Roman authorities are going to come in and they're going to take care of all of us. Because Rome did not put up with riots. They didn't put up with um, uh, uh, things that were unorganized like this. And, and they would come in and just shut it down. So then from this big riot, from everybody in there chanting, from this, you know, what was going on, they, 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 they left. And then Paul started going to different cities, and he goes on basically on a farewell tour. Because Paul is being led by the Holy Spirit to go back to Jerusalem. And he knows when he goes back to Jerusalem that he's going to be arrested. The Holy Spirit, he says, it just talks to him. like He knows it in his heart that this is going to happen. And we read in Acts chapter 20, verses 22 to 35, this is the last words of the Apostle Paul to his friends and his ministry partners. This is the last time they'll see him. Paul knows he's going to be arrested. Paul knows he's going to be beaten. And we're going to find out in the weeks before or in the weeks after this that, that there's shipwrecks, that there's uh, other journeys ahead of him. But, but this is the end of his public ministry. Now his ministry is going to go to more writing uh, to different churches that, that, that he started, different pastors that he mentored. Then he's going to end up in prison in Rome. And so, the, but this here is the end of his public ministry. This is the, the end of, of, of Paul and what he was doing. So in Acts chapter 20, verse 22, here's what he says at the end of his ministry here. Acts chapter 20, starting with verse 22. And now, compelled by the Spirit... I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that the prison, that prison and hardships are facing me. Just stop there. He knows that everywhere he goes, prison and hardships are going to face him. But he's still willing to do it because he wants to live a life worthy of the calling God has put on him. I only 
know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now, I know that none of you, that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you. And will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit myself, now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace which can build you up and give you an an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. And everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. As I look at this, these last words of Paul, it's fascinating because the Apostle Paul wants to finish the race and he wants to finish the race well. He wants to finish it strong. Paul did not hesitate to preach the message of Jesus in season, out of season, as he says elsewhere. He didn't hesitate to let people know about the love that compels him to share this message with everyone he encounters. And then Paul empowered people to, to, to take care of and to nurture the church and to further the church, to reach out to people, to go and further the kingdom. And then the last thing Paul says, he quotes Jesus. But this this quote that Jesus says isn't in the New Testament anywhere. So someone must have told him that, or or he must have heard it from someone else, or maybe the Lord told him, I don't know. But he, he said this, that Jesus says this, it's more blessed. The last thing he says, the last thing Jesus says to his followers before he leaves, they'll never see him again, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And didn't the Apostle Paul live a life of giving? He gave his life. He gave his time. He gave his energy. He gave his finances. He worked with his hands so he could help those around him. He would collect money for the churches who were struggling, and he would go and give it to them. But one of the last things he says, it's more blessed to give than to receive. That's powerful. And every week when we give in our offerings and our tithes and offerings, we have an opportunity to give because it is more blessed to give than to receive. 
And every year, as I've mentioned before, we give three special offerings, and our offerings go um, to our missionaries, our Global Outreach Fund, which support all of our missionaries. And this Thanksgiving offering coming up, we support so many different missionaries. And as the Lord leads you, and as you think about it, and as you process what the Lord would have you give, may you give generously, and may you give above and beyond your regular tithes and offerings so that we could bless and further the kingdom of God all over the world. We're giving to missionaries who are in Asia and other parts of the world. One missionary was here two months ago, and, and he, he started over 220,000 churches, something like that. Like that sounds like a ridiculous, crazy number, but it's kind of like what happened in Acts, where it just kept growing exponentially. Next week, we'll send out a video kind of explaining that story and sharing that story with everyone so you kind of visualize how somebody could start all those churches in 20-plus years. And, and so, so, so as you think about that and you think about the Thanksgiving offering, think about how the Lord will lead you to give. As I close, I want to close in a little differently, and the band could come up, but I want to show you a video from a, a, um, uh, from a ministry called The Bible Project, and it, it's a summary of the three missionary journeys that has a unique perspective on how we apply these, um, uh, these journeys, the life of Paul, how we apply this to our lives and, uh, and as we read the story of Paul, there's so many different things we could apply, so many different nuggets of truth we could, we could put into our lives and to live out. But, but this video kind of summarizes the last three weeks, and it really gives us good insights to what we can do to make an impact for the kingdom and to further the kingdom, to honor the calling God has placed upon us. So let's watch this video here, and then we'll respond through song.